And so last week I shared a, a little bit that after we went through Philippians 1, 9 through 11, where we see Paul praying for the church, uh, we just, we just kind of came to a point where I want you guys to get to know your elders, and I want you to hear them pray for you. And so I'm going to invite Dave up here this morning, and he's going to pray for our morning. Um, and so if you guys don't know Dave, say hi, Dave. Hi, Dave. So, <laughs> so, all right. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus, in whom we have every spiritual blessing, in whom we were chosen before the foundations of the world that we would be holy mm -hmm. and blameless without condemnation before you. We recognize that it is because you chose us that we heard the word of truth, that we believed in you and we were sealed with your Holy Spirit. It is in Jesus that we have forgiveness of our sins. In Jesus that we have obtained an inheritance and have been adopted into your family. And today I stand here as part of your family, so thankful to be part of a body of believers who want to do your will and live for your glory. Father, this morning I lift up the congregation of the River Church. I pray, Lord, that you would give us your spirit of wisdom and a revelation of knowledge of you, that we may have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may know the hope that you have called us to, the incredible riches of your eternal inheritance, and the immeasurable greatness of your power in us. And as we live and work in this community, help us to love one another and our neighbors the way you have loved us. I pray that we would be strengthened by your power in us, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith, that we would be rooted and grounded in your love, and that we would have boldness and confidence in our faith in you, that through your church, this church, we would display for all to see the immeasurable riches of your eternal love for us. Help us to live for you. Help us to be a blessing to River Falls and to your kingdom and bring glory to your name. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, so this morning we're going to continue in Philippians. Uh, we're still going through this, and we're going to be in Philippians uh, 1, 18 through 26. So if you have a Bible, please open there. If you're using your phone, open up your app. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles along the side. Um, feel free to take one of those. And if you don't have a Bible at home, take one of those home with you. That's a gift from us to you. We want you to have that. And so we're going to look at Philippians 1. 18 through 26, and so would you follow along with me? And we're going to start kind of at the uh, second part of 18. We're going to start only that. So look at 1, 18 through 26. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will, re and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all 
for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And so this is one of the most iconic passages, especially verse 21, that there is in the Bible. This is one that many people learn and understand and know. And it's this idea, for, to me, to live is Christ and to die in gain. And what does it mean? What does it look like for us to kind of fulfill this? What does it mean for us to look like people who live for Christ and to die is gain? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at kind of six marks or characteristics of what it means for us to live for Christ. And we're going to start in verse 18 again. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. And so the first thing we see is that we need to be a people who take joy in Christ. I mean, Paul had joy even in the midst of all the suffering. We looked at last week, he's facing all this opposition. He's facing opposition from outside the church. He's in jail. He's facing opposition from inside the church. There are those who are trying to, out of rivalry and uh, pretense, kind of speak badly about him or kind of make their names more famous than his. So they're competing. And he rejoices because the fact is, is the gospel was going out. Right? Whether from pure motives or impure motives, his, his desire and his joy is found in the gospel, and he, and he takes joy in that. But it says, I rejoice, in that I rejoice, that the, the gospel is proclaimed. And then it goes, yes, and I will rejoice. This is the idea, I will continue to rejoice. And so he looks forward with joy. Right? He's not just looking back or what's happening now. He looks forward and he will rejoice despite anything that has happened or will happen. Because he's looking at Christ, he chooses to take joy in Christ. And we'll see this throughout this book. All right, I don't have time to kind of expound on all of this, and we've expounded on joy a little bit, but we're going to see more of this throughout the book of Philippians, that we are to take joy in his work in us, in Christ's work in us. We're to take joy in each other. We're to take joy through us, the work that God does through us, and what he has done in the past, we are to take joy in that. What he is doing now, what he will do in the future, we are to be joyful people who rejoice in Christ and what he's doing. Because here's the reality, right? We should be joyful people if we understand and look at who Christ is, because the life we live, right, in this world, it wants to crush us, sin wants to kill us, and death is kind of at the doorstep, right? That's how we live, many of us, in this world. But yet, here's the reality for us if we are in Christ and why we can take joy is because Christ delivers us. And he gives us life now and for eternity. And so in him, we have joy. And so what we see here is Paul chooses to take joy in Christ despite everything going on in his life. Despite the jail sentence, the fact that he's going to have to defend himself, the fact that he may die, he takes joy in Christ and keeps his eyes fixed on that. So Christian, take joy in Christ. And then look back at verse 19 with me. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And what we see here is Paul is in the midst of suffering, and yet what does he do? He trusts Christ, right? He trusts Christ wholeheartedly. And yet in the midst of the suffering, what does he do? He turns to the Philippians, right? And he says, you 
pray for me. We just saw earlier in 1, 9 through 11 that he prays for them, but he also asked that they would pray for him. And here's the thing. The Christian life is not lived in isolation. Right? We are not lone wolves. We are not in this alone because he asked the Philippians to pray for him and he also asked that the Spirit, for the help of the Spirit. You see, if you think you are alone, you aren't. We're all in this together. You see, we should have others we can turn to who pray for us. We should have a community around us that prays for us and points us to Christ. And you see, here's the thing about prayer that I love and why we should be praying for each other and why we should pray in our own lives is prayer is dependence, right? It's trust in God. It's trust in God. It's saying, God, I need you, right? And our relationship to God is like a child's in many ways. He calls us his sons and daughters. It's like a child, right? Like my, my daughter comes to me and she's like, Daddy, I'm, I'm hungry. Can I have a treat? Right? Because she knows I can help her. She can't open the bag a lot of times, right? She can't reach up and get the food. And so she comes to me and says, Dad, I need your help. Will you help me? And I say, of course, sweetie. Let's get you a treat. Unless, of course, dinner's coming around or something. But what we see is she trusts me, right? She's turning to me. She knows I can do something about it. And so prayer is kind of like that. We say to God, I need you, God. You are my good Father in heaven. And this is what prayer says. But much like it's like a child, it's also very different from the relationship of a child to its parents. Because you see, what we want to do with our children, right? I don't want my children to live with me forever. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want my children to always be dependent on me. Right? And so we want to raise them so that they can become independent of us. And that's healthy. Right? That's healthy for our children to grow up and move away from us, to live their own lives. That's okay. We still interact with them. Right? But you see, with God, it's very different because as we mature and grow, we never get to a point where we don't need Him anymore. We grow and mature to a point where we realize we need Him more. Right? In our lives, I need Him more. And so as we grow and mature, we begin to understand that I need to pray without ceasing. I need you all the time, God. Right? And so we pray, God, I need you. And the thing is, is it's not just about me. Because you see, we don't live in isolation. We aren't in this alone. We have each other as well. We petition for each other together. We raise each other up to God. We are not isolated in this. And so much of our prayers are about ourselves, which is fine. That's a good thing to pray, to bring our own needs. But we should have others around us, right? That we can say, can you pray for me? Can you petition the Lord with me? You see, we are to lift each other up as a church. We are in this together. And so pray for each other. You see, as your pastor, pray for me. I need it. Let me tell you what. Don't ask my wife, but she knows I need it. I don't know if you guys know that yet. But I need it, right? We all need it. But pray for me as your pastor that God would continue to give me wisdom, understanding, discernment, how to lead this church, and to do it with love. Okay? Pray that for me. But you see, it's not just you pray for me. We need to pray for each other. The person in the seat next to you needs your prayers most likely. Right? I'm not going to say most likely. They need it. We all need it, right? And so we are in this together, and so we should be praying for each other. Pray for your elders. Pray for those sitting next to you. Pray for your church. Pray for those who don't know Jesus. 
right, who don't know God, who are far from Him, pray. Pray for new families who come here that they would know the love that we have for Jesus and we would express that to them. Pray for your neighbors. Pray. Move outside of the realm of just yourself, though. I'm not saying that's not important. Continue to do that. But invite others into that. And also ask, how can I be praying for you? We're to pray for one another. We need this. And here's the thing. Prayer works. Prayer is effectual. It does things. Because, you know, there's some things God is going to do, and there's some things God isn't going to do, right? But there are some things God will do because we petition him, because we come to him and we say, Lord, I need your help in this, or God, would you help me in this, right? There's certain things God will do because we pray, and because we need God. And here's the thing, we pray to him and we ask him, because just like my daughter knows I can help her, we know that God is all-powerful and he can help us. You see, we turn to him because he's so amazing. And I just think of Luke 18, I don't know if you know this passage, but this widow, right? She goes before the, and Jesus tells them, it's like this, right? This widow goes before this judge and pretty much just nags him till the point that he just says, yes, I will fulfill what you're asking because he's an unjust judge. Now, how much greater is our God that we can go before him and ask and ask and ask, right? Because he's not unjust. He is just and he is good and we can go to him. And so we need each other's prayers. We need the help of the Spirit as well, though. You see, look back at the passage. He asked for two things, for I know that through your prayers, and what else? The help of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, right? We need God also. You see, we need God's Spirit. The Spirit also, you need to know, resides in you if you are a believer, right? He's with you. He's in you. And that he would be helped, right? He's asking, would you help me, Holy Spirit? And you see, this is power, right? Do you realize the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead? Right? That same power is available to us, right? Not that we have control over it or, you know, anything weird like that, but that we can ask for help for that. And that power is there, right? And you see, the Spirit is in you to help you to counsel you, to give you wisdom, to convict you, right? To convict you. We oftentimes overlook that, but he, he works in our hearts, right? And he ultimately to overcome for our deliverance. You see, we can't do this alone. We can't do it without each other. We can't do it without God. And so that's why we have each other to pray, and that's why we have the Spirit in us, and he's working on us. We need God, and so we pray to show our dependence. And we say, Spirit, help me. Open my eyes. Work in me that I would see Jesus ever more, that I would trust him more and more. Because here's the thing, he knows what's best for us. So when we pray and he says no, maybe he's teaching us. Maybe he's leading us closer to him. And so we can trust him because look at this, Matthew 7, 9 through 11 says this, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Right? And all of us are like, what? I would not give my kid a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, he will give him a serpent. And I was like, no, we'd give him a fish. If you then who are evil, right, he's talking to us, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? If we know how to give good gifts, how much more does he know how to give good gifts? And so we intercede and we pray and we ask for his spirit to move in our lives and the lives of others to help us. 
And Paul is suffering here, right? Yet he trusts God. And he says that he wants their prayers and the Holy Spirit's. Why? Look at verse Look at verse 19 again. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Right? For my deliverance. And there's three ways that God will deliver us. He may deliver us by removing the suffering. And that's a good thing to ask for, right? Or Isaiah 38, Hezekiah is sick. Right? He's going to die. And he pleads with the Lord. And the Lord says, well, because you turn to me, essentially, I will add 15 years to your life, right? So sometimes he removes the suffering. Another option is God may deliver us by giving us strength to go through the suffering. 2 Corinthians 1, 8-11, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we have experienced in Asia. They've experienced affliction, for we are so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Despaired of life itself. I don't know if you've ever come to that point, but I can't imagine being there. But indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer. Look at that again. Prayer pops up here again, right? So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. 2 Corinthians 1, 8-11. You see, sometimes he gives us the strength to go through the suffering so that we would rely on him more, so we'd be drawn to him. And then the third option, God may deliver us by removing us from the suffering. Acts 8, 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And this, this is what Paul's talking about here, right? He's not asking necessarily that he would be delivered from the suffering, or that the suffering would be taken away, or that he would have power to go. But he's asking God for deliverance, for salvation. He's asking God for salvation, that God would remove him. Look at the passage again, right? Look at verse 20, the end of verse 20. Whether by life or by death, right? And then 21 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then he's talking about, which shall I choose? And then 23 says, I am hard-pressed between these two options of life and death. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He's talking about salvation here, that, that he would be maintained through their prayers and through the Holy Spirit, that he would continue to honor and trust God to the very end, and that he would stay faithful and trust God till he dies. That's what he's asking for here. And so Paul is choosing He's choosing to trust Christ wholeheartedly throughout his entire life, whether he lives or dies. And so we are to trust Christ wholeheartedly. And then look at verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And we are to honor Christ courageously with our lives. To live for Christ, this is what it means. We honor Christ courageously. And Paul's saying here, I, I want Christ to be on the throne of my life. And I want everybody to see it, and I want everybody to know it, and I want everybody to hear about it. He's saying, I want Christ on the throne of a, my life, and he's saying, look, I am a Christian. 
I love the Lord. And so does your life, River Church, honor Christ? Does it magnify Him? Okay, are you ashamed of God, the gospel, Christ? Okay, or are you courageous for God, the gospel, and Christ? And I would say for many of us as Christians, we are ashamed, right? He says that I will not be ashamed at all, right? And he's saying this, and I think sometimes for us it's really hard for us not to be ashamed because we don't choose Christ, we don't choose to trust Him, we don't choose to honor Him. Instead, we choose our own way, and we choose sin. We choose sin or the things of this world. And what happens is we become ashamed. We're ashamed of our lives. We're ashamed of our sins. We know we are hypocrites, right? We know the logs in our eyes, so we hide our sin because we fear. We fear what others might think of us. And we hide, we hide it, right? And we hide ourselves and we hide from Christ. And we are embarrassed and ashamed, right? And some of you might feel that weight this morning. And here's the thing is stop hiding, right? Stop letting it own you. Stop letting sin own you. Stop being ashamed. Don't let shame rule your life. Stop being its slave because it's like a downward spiral, right? What happens is we're ashamed of our sin, so we hide it. And what happens is we turn to sin and we continue to like, work down, and we can become more ashamed, and then sin begins to own us more, and we continue down this, and it's just a downward spiral, and what we do is we end up hiding from Christ, and we end up digging ourselves into this huge hole, where we're like, I don't see any way out. Well, the way out is Christ, right? So don't hide it from him. He died on the cross for this, for you, and so stop hiding, and here's the thing. Prayer comes up again here as we look out throughout the Bible. Confess your sins. Have people you know around you to trust with these things and who are going to be people who do this. James 5, 13 through 16. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up, right? And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And you see, there's some things God will do. There's some things God won't do. And then there's the things God may do because we pray to him. And we're not always healed, right? I want to put that out there. But sometimes we are because we pray. Right? And so find people you trust. Find people you can trust. Find people who can come around you and pray for you if you're struggling in this, that you know well, who you look at and you go, you know, I want to be like that person or have them in my life. Right? You see God in their lives. And so invite them in because he's given us each other to pray for one another so that we would not be ashamed. And Christ wants to clean you. And he gives us community to pray and walk with. Galatians 5.16 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit. Why? So you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay? We need prayer and the help of the Spirit. Do you see that again? And you have that available to you. And then repentance, right? We repent. That's what this idea is. Repentance, which is laying it before the Lord which is turning from sin and following Christ. So it's confessional. We say, Lord, forgive me of this. But it's also saying, I don't want that anymore. I don't want to go that way. I know where that leads. It just leaves me in pain. And instead, what we need to say is, I need you, Christ. I want to follow you. I choose you. 
And so we go that way instead. And so it's, it's the idea we head this way and we go, I don't want that. And so we turn and go the other way to follow Christ, to trust and honor Him. And I love what Martin Luther says about repentance. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, He intended that the entire life of a believer should be repentance. This is something we all need. And we grow in that, right? We see continually repent and turn to Christ throughout our lives. And what happens is we grow. And a lot of people think our growth needs to be like this, right? But it's not like that. It's more like this, right? You know the pits, right? You've fallen in the pits. You look back and you see the pits. But oftentimes they grow us and draw us closer to God. And sometimes we fall in sin, but we continually to grow through those things because what do we see? We need God. We need Christ. We need His Spirit. We need each other. And in that we grow. And in that we become bold for Him. So turn from your sin, your shame. Do not be ashamed of Christ. Choose Christ. And I think the other thing is because we choose to fear men, right? We fear men. We don't want to be judgy. We don't want to be ridiculed. We don't want others to think less of us. We don't want to be awkward. We don't want to be that Christian, right? Or that guy. And I think we have a fear of man complex, right? And so repent of that if you have that. And so it's our own sin, but it's also the approval of others that we seek oftentimes that makes us ashamed. But don't choose that. Choose Christ because you are called to be bold and courageous. I love 2 Timothy 7 8. For God has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me in his, in his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Look back at verse 20. As is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. In life or death, in my physical body, whatever you would use this for, Lord, may your name be magnified. Would you be honored? Right? You are to be bold, River Church, for Christ. Christian, this is your call to see his name made famous in River Falls, in Pierce County, in Wisconsin, to the ends of the earth, to see others transformed, to see their lives honor Christ and make his name famous. So choose to honor Christ courageously. You do not have a spirit of fear, but you are to be bold for the gospel, so choose Christ. And then look at verse 21 through 23. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Right? And Paul is facing this dilemma, right? Life or death. He's weighing these options, right? And I don't know about you if you've ever had to weigh options, but sometimes it can be really hard, right? Have you ever stood at the grocery store in the cereal aisle? I mean, have you seen this thing? It is like a wall, right? And you're like, which one? You know, that one's kind of got a green label and a yellow label, right? You stand there, we have all these options before us, right? What about finding a restaurant? You ever done that? And then you're like checking all the reviews, right? And you're like, I want to make sure I make the right choice here. What about an Amazon thing, right? Like, oh my gosh, which sunglasses should I get? There's like... 50 pages with a thousand sunglasses and you're like reading the reviews to make sure you choose the right one. What about a Netflix or TV show, right? You're like, 
which one should I invest my life in? Which option should I go for? And these options tell us we have freedom to choose, right? Choices, options. What are you going to do after church today? There's another option, right? Are you going to watch the Super Bowl tonight or not? What are you going to do next week? Right? We have all these options before us. What are you going to do next month? What about next year? Right? What, do you, what job are you going to have? Right? College students, I don't know about you. You're like, I don't know. I remember that question coming of like, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? I did not imagine being here. I'll tell you that. <laughs> right? But what job are you going to get? Why? So you can get the car, the house, right? the piece of property, the, the retire early. Who am I going to marry? Right? All these options before us. Do I swipe well after? Right? You know, that's kind of a bad analogy there, but who am I going to marry? Where are you going to go live? How many kids are you going to have? How many dogs, right? We have all these choices before us. We can live almost anywhere in this world, and unlike any other generation before us, we have tons of choices. My grandpa pretty much had two choices, right? Work on the farm or, like, become a construction worker. We're kind of his two choices in life. But we have almost countless options and choices before us, and it's killing us, I feel like. It's killing us. There have been studies that have been done that's destroying our lives because we always have at the back of our minds, did I make the right choice? Did I choose the right option? Am I missing out if I go this way? And so we are unwilling to commit, right? Because something bigger or better might come along. Or we, are, we aren't fully committed. We kind of, you know, like put kind of like a toe into the, the circle of what we're committing to. And we don't stay committed because, you know what, something else might come along, something different, maybe better. You know, go to a different route, find a different job, maybe a different house, maybe a different wife, right? That's what our world tells us. If you're not happy with it, just choose different kids or church or God, right? And we're committed really to being uncommitted is the idea, right? We're committed to being uncommitted. And we live with this haunting us, driving us crazy. And we don't do this with everything, but did I make the right choice? And you see, it steals our joy. It steals our assurance. It steals our deliverance. It steals an honoring life. It steals our courage, our trust. It steals, it makes us ashamed. It steals Christ. Because here's the thing, we have all these choices before us. But do we choose Christ? Because you see, Paul doesn't have a dilemma here, really, when you begin to look at it, between life or death. He's got one option, really. He's got one focus, one goal, one commitment in his life. And that's Christ, right? He says, Christ is it. Christ is it. With Christ when I die or for Christ as I live? Christ is the option, right? And there's one who has existed from eternity. Just listen to this, right? There's one who has existed from eternity. One who lived a perfect life. One who died on the cross for your sins. One who is exalted above every and every everything and anyone else, one who's seated on the throne over all things, right? One whose knee, who's, who all knees will bow down to, right? There's one, one light in the darkness, one word, one fulfillment, one to abide in, one truth, one life, one eternal life, one faith, one Lord, one Savior, one Christ, and it's Jesus, right? Jesus Christ is it. And so what are you going to choose in this world, in this life? You want to know joy? Have Christ. You want hope? And this isn't like, boy, I hope the weather's nice tomorrow. It's more of a hope of like, I know this is going to happen, hope, and I can't wait for it to come because, you see, Jesus will return and he will wipe away every tear. Do you want trust? Christ died on the cross for you. What more do you need to know that he loves you and you can trust him? You want honor, not to be ashamed? Live the Christian life. Follow him. Pray, walk in the Spirit. Live to make his name great. You want courage? 
Look at Paul, whether for me to live or die. Right? You want purpose, fulfillment? Christ calls you, calls you to be transformed, but also to see others that they would know this and be transformed. Right? You want commitment? You want commitment? Look at, look at the Bible. I mean, from the beginning of time, we see that he sent his offspring, right? You know, like, who's the offspring? Well, it's Christ. And he's been fulfilling that story. He's committed to his people. He loves us so dearly. And he wants to be with us, is what he declares in Revelation 21, right? He's committed. And so are you committed to him? Or are the things of this world blinding you, right? And so what we see is like, Paul, we need to have one commitment. And so commit your life your death, to Christ. Choose Christ because He is it. And then look at verses 24 through 25. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. And see, Paul is kind of debating between life and death, right? And what does he do? He's like, it's better for me to die because I get to be with Christ. But he says, I, I can put that aside, though, because I want what's best for you. And maybe what's best for you is that I remain. Right? He puts aside his personal preferences and says, I want to serve you. And so we are to serve others selfishly, selflessly <laughs> for Christ. Kind of a thank you. We are to serve others selflessly for Christ. Because you see, it's for your progress and joy. Look back. Look back. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for what? For your progress and joy in the faith. I want to see you grow, is what Paul is saying. Speaking the truth in love. I love this passage. Speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up. Like progress, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. That is Christ, right? From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. You see, we're like a body that's being put together by Christ. And he is the head and we are the body, which when each part is working properly, listen to this, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, I want to see you grow. Because when the body is working properly, what happens? It makes all of us grow. And so if you're not growing, if you're, if you're dead in sin, you're not growing. And that hurts the rest of us, right? All of us should desire this. And this changes our thinking from what is best for me or what do I want to what is best for you, brother and sister in Christ. What is best for you should be our cry as we come here in the morning. Not about me, but about you. I want to see you grow. I want to see you progress. I want to see you know Jesus more. And I want you to live for him. You see, and here's the thing, no matter where you are, because we always are fearful, right? Am I mature enough or am I immature? Wherever we're at, because here's the thing, there's immaturity, there's maturity. And no matter where you are, no matter where you are, we are called as a body to walk together in that. And so we want to walk with you. I want to pray for you, right? You don't have to hide. You don't have to be ashamed because I know what Christ has done for me. I know the grace he's poured out for me. I know how patient he's been with me, even despite all the dumb mistakes I've made in my life. 
And I know how much he loves you. I know how patient he is with you, what he did on the cross for you, how much grace he gives to you. Right? He pours his riches, his grace out upon us. And I know he's done that for you so I can say, I love you and I care about you because I want to see Christ in you. I know that he died on the cross for you and I know how much love he has for you so I can say, I love you because I want to see this in your life. He's making you new. He's transforming you. He's changing you. So don't be ashamed. Don't hide in your sin because you're not going to be changed and transformed. And what happens is I want to see your progress because you are my brother and sister. You're also a part of the body. It's like if, my, if I had a big, you know, like if my arm got cut, I'm going to put a Band-Aid on it, right? Because I want to see it healed. I'm going to put ointment on it over time, right? And so if you're hurting, I want to see you healed. I want to see you come to know Christ. I don't want you to hide in that. We're here to serve one another. Because you think about it, if my arm is chopped off, I'd miss it. Life would be a lot more difficult. I probably wouldn't grow as quickly, right? But you see, when we're working together, when we're helping each other, when we're walking alongside each other, when we're praying for each other, when we enter into each other's lives to serve one another, right? we should see healing. We should see growth. And I want that. You should want that. That's why Christ has put us here. Young, old, pastor, congregation, wherever we are at, we're here to walk together, to pray with one another, show how amazing Christ is, right? Because he is it. And I want you to progress. I want you to grow. I want you to experience Christ. Why? So you can have this kind of joy that Paul talks about throughout this letter. Look at this. For your progress and joy in the faith. As we grow, as you grow Christian, you should see other people around you growing as well, right? And you should also see joy grow in your life. Joy in Christ. And you should see that in life together. And so as we grow, we should have more joy. And I'm not saying there aren't going to be difficult situations that cause us to mourn. There's going to be. There's going to be that. And we mourn together. We walk along together in that. What I'm saying is we should experience joy in Christ. Because you see, trusting Christ, honoring Christ, serving others for Christ, we should be joy-filled because of that. And I want you to know this joy. And we're going to talk more about this. Because this letter is just packed full of joy, rejoicing, in the Lord. But I want you to have that. I want you to grow. I want you to have joy. And the way we do that is when we choose Christ. Right? And so, we choose Christ. And as we grow, as we progress, as we have more of this, we glorify God. Look at verse 26. So that me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. You see, Paul never makes it, but he still tells them to glory in Christ, that they would have glory because of him. Not that they would have glory for themselves, but they would glory for Christ. You see, I want to serve you. I want to see you grow. I want to see you progress. I want to see you have joy because I want to see you boast. I want to see you give glory to Christ. I want you to make much of him, to lose sight of yourself, to see him as the great and glorious God that he is. And this is what we should be about, River Church. I want River Church to be known as the people who love Christ and take joy in him. I want this in my life. I want this in your life, right? That we have chosen Christ and that we have committed to him. You see, we should say, Christ, I want to live for you. Christ, I want to die for you. 
For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want my everything to be for you, God. For you, Jesus. Lord, help us to help each other. Right? Lord, help us to help each other. That we would be continually pointing each other to Christ. And that he would be exalted. Because you see, it's for our joy and his glory. And so to live is Christ and die is gain. And so the question comes, what are you living for? And maybe a better question is, what are you dying for? What are you dying for? The things of this world? Money? You can't take that with you. Right? Fame? I mean, everybody forgets about you anyway. Like, I just was thinking the other day, like, my daughter's kids may remember me, but their kids, they'll just forget me. Like, seriously, they will. Does anybody know your great-great-grandfather real well? Probably not, right? We will be forgotten. But what will live on is Christ. Right? And I want to make a legacy for my family, for my community, for those around me, that Christ is what I knew and what I proclaimed so that it may go on. And so I want to live for Christ and I want to die for Christ. So are you choosing the things of this world or do you choose Christ? Because the option is before you. And I love what Philippians 3.7 says. Paul goes on. Just turn to that. Philippians 3.7 if you have your Bibles open. Right? 3.7 through 8. And Paul's talking about his own life here. How he's a Pharisee before. How he had everything he could ever dream in this world. Right? But whatever gain I had in this world, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Everything is loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. And that word rubbish there is very descriptive. It's calling all the things of this world really manure. It's just a bunch of manure that this world has to offer us. It's a bunch of fecal matter. Okay? It's rubbish. It's garbage. And he counts them all as lost for what? In order that I may gain Christ. So choose. What do you want? What do you want? And I would hope you would choose Christ. Because what are you living for? What are you dying for is the question. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. When you choose Christ, will you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for just this passage, Lord God, and how just deep Paul comes into this like, idea of whether it's for me to live as Christ or to die as Christ. God, would you impress this upon our minds, our hearts, and our souls, that you are it. That everything this world has to offer is just rubbish. That, Lord God, we would see, our eyes would be open. Spirit, help us. Help us. Reveal in us. Convict us where we need convicting. Tear the things out of our lives that stand in the way of you. Of you. And help us to grow and progress, Lord God, in knowing you, in loving you, in trusting you, in honoring you. Because you are the best. So I thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity we had to go through your word. Lord God, impress that deep 
in our hearts and our souls imprinted upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.